The Lollygaggers podcast has always advocated social distancing, especially as it relates to Justin, who should be buried in a bunker somewhere deep below the earth. In this episode, Justin gets all emotional over Ori and the Will of the Wisps, while Jeff is compelled by mind management to read and kickstart its products. Both Lollygaggers then watch the Norwegian Netflix superhero drama, Ragnarok. Welcome to episode number 83 of the Lollygaggers podcast, show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? It's going all right, man. Uh, working from home, right? You too? Yeah, we have, this is like a pre-spring break week that they gave us. Okay. Then we have spring break next week, and then it looks like we're probably going to be indefinitely online from that point on. Yeah, a meeting today kind of leading to that whole idea. So similar, similar here. We uh, we we started we, we went on spring break last week and then this was like an extended spring break as we're transitioning. And so we have like two or three weeks now where we're putting all our courses and stuff online and then eventually we're going to hopefully finish out the semester and do all of our classes online. So, uh, yeah, still working, though, which is good, but like. You know, it's a good thing I've taught online classes before because I've I've done that a, a bunch. So it's pretty easy for me to transition to this kind of stuff. But there's other people who are having, uh, you know, some some trouble. It was it, it was so funny. We did a a web like because you did like video conferencing, right? With your with your department. Yeah, pretty much through a Cisco thing. Yeah. So yeah, we're using we were using uh, Google Meetings yesterday, and it's hilarious. Like one of my one of my friends put up a little video about how to use Google Meetings. And it was like 45 seconds. And it was like, this is how you do it. And like she repeated about 20 times. The first rule is to mute your mic. The first rule is to mute your mic. And I mean, I get into the meeting and there's like 35 of us or something inside. And of course, there's that one person who didn't watch the video and she's confused and she's sitting there talking to herself and she has no idea that we can hear her. And then when we do, she can't figure out how to mute her mic. It's really funny uh, in a way. You got to find levity in situations like this, right? Yeah, it's uh, the the equivalent I found recently of the reply all. Oh like God, that's a good format, point. So that's a good point. Yeah. Oh my God, reply all. It drives me nuts. Like I hate reply all. It's the worst thing. Uh, but hey, uh, in addition to just working from home, like one of the things that we've been able to do then is like we have more time to actually do like some game stuff here and there. Uh, so I know that I've got some role-playing games and stuff lined up to play, and I know that you have been playing some new video games. So why don't you tell uh, people about what you've been playing? So I tackled Ori and the Will of the Wisps over the weekend. It came out last Tuesday. I finished it last night, actually. Um, and I love it. It's a beautiful and sweet yet sad game. And uh, let's talk all about it. Uh, so it's developed by Moon Studios. Uh, the producer or the designers is Thomas Mahler and Chris McEntee. Um, and it's an Xbox game, but you can get it on Steam. That's how I do it. Um, and basically, it's a, a side-scrolling platformer with a whole bunch of different like abilities and stuff you can do that you develop over time. And the basic story is there's this enchanted forest, and it's kind of run by this wisp god inside of a tree and ori was birthed from it in the previous um iteration of it which was ori in the blind forest and she's basically a leaf that sprouted from the tree and landed on the ground and she's a a, a, a nywin i guess is the the name of her and um basically the story is about the first one was all about her finding out like what's, what the bad stuff that's going on in the forest and trying to fix it. Uh, and there's this big evil owl. And at the end of it, you defeat the big evil owl um, and kind of adopt its child um, and take it home to your little hovel. And you find out that a lot of the bad things in the forest aren't really bad. They're just kind of corrupted by the bad stuff that's going on with what's happening in the forest. So the second one jumps off, I'd say like, maybe like a couple years after the first game occurred and the baby has grown to a little baby owl. Um, I'd say like a little like toddler owl and one of its wings are broken. So Ori and the owl go on a little adventure, to try and find it a, a wing to kind of like 
repair it. So they find a feather, and they tape it on there, and they all go they go flying off, and then they get separated. And the whole game is pretty much Ori trying to find uh, her little owl friend. Meanwhile, consequently saving the forest. Um, there's very little dialogue. The dialogue that there is 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 mostly like a made up foreign language and is you know subtitled it's very pretty the music is insanely beautiful um the colors and the art design it's 2d yet they create depth through foreground shadows and background depth and um you kind of like learn how to kind of traverse the wildlife and everything and fight the the baddies through different abilities you acquire over time this one's a little different than the first one because there's a lot of side quests. There weren't really any side quests in the first one. It was pretty much kind of like, go do this, this, and this, very linear. Or this one has a ton of side quests that I found in the first couple hours of the game I was becoming too enamored with and was barely progressing through the game as I should. Um, I get kind of like that Skyrim thing where I want to clear out a whole area before I move on, and I find that to be uh, troublesome and anxiety-filled because I want to finish the area before I move on, but that ends up extending the gameplay a tremendous amount, which can be uh, boring for viewers at times because I, I, I did a stream of it and I have YouTube videos. So it's a thing where I kind of like realized about halfway there, I'm like, maybe I should kind of like move forward with the story. But it makes it a longer game, more replayable, and a lot of cool little things you can do. As you develop these abilities, you can kind of go back to original spots where you couldn't go to before and do certain things and unlock certain stuff. Um, there's uh, like different types of building mechanics. There's these seeds um, that kind of like help you sprout in your area to kind of like unlock different things. There's so many new different mechanics because it's kind of like a hub, like a little city you find and like a little town. And in that hub, there's like four or five different people there that you can get like upgrades or different things to the area to kind of like complete tasks. So it's a lot more in depth than the previous one was. However, what it doesn't lack is emotion and sweetness. It's a very, very sweet game, yet also heartbreaking in many, many moments. It's a very um, beautiful. The music is just enamoring i guess would be the word just it draws you in so much it creates an environment that's really fun to be a part of and all the characters are really are really cool and interesting and all the bosses are are pretty cool too the final boss i died to maybe about six times in the final phase until i realized what i had to do um but luckily it was one of those things where it's like you didn't have to start the whole thing over i think they realized that that phase is going to be confusing so once it got going it was pretty fun and, and cool but uh overall i loved it it's probably one of my favorite games in this this series probably one of my favorite series out of all games it's like up there top five i just think it's just a really really fun game and you can kind of like the way they give you all these different abilities and different moves you can do you can really kind of play any way you want and get from a to b in a myriad of different you know directions or or, or routes, which is really, really cool, I think. Which makes it so that you don't have to be like bound by this very linear path. Like There is a linear storyline, but you, there's branches you can do whatever you want, but how you accomplish those things are very much up to you and, and the abilities that you have and what you kind of how you want to play. And there's certain abilities I never used during the game, which if I, I went back and played again, I'd like to try and use those abilities because there's a lot of replayability and there's, there's so many different things you can do in different orders, and I'd like to see how it kind of develops that way. So, again, it's Orient Blind Forest uh, by Moon Studios. It's on your Xbox Game Store. It's on Steam. I think it's the only two places that, you know, Microsoft Store on your computers. If you have a, a Microsoft, uh, you know, 10UI type of stuff on your, or iOS on your, or OS. iOS is Apple. OS on your computer. Um, but super, super fun game. Highly recommend it. If you haven't played it or, or, or watched it, it's such a sweet, sweet game. So give it a shot. All right, man. Uh, so I haven't yet gotten into game playing, like video game playing. I got some stuff that I'm thinking about playing. I really want to get through a few different games. You know, you know I've never actually played uh, the original Ori. Like I, I have it, I think. It's I just, a really 
cool game. I just, and it's not terribly know. long because it was truly that game was truly an independent game. Sure. It's like maybe I think when it first came out, it was like 20 or 30 bucks. Hmm. It was one of those things, but it was totally worth that 20 or 30 bucks because like you get a great game out of it. Based yeah. On that, so. so I don't understand why I don't play video games as much anymore. Like it's just really strange that uh, I used to play them a lot and now I don't really play them at all. Uh, but you know what I have been doing? Is there like more. a dungeon master for like six different games? Yeah, I got a lot of games going on. I don't know. I just find I find role playing games better. They're more social, and you get to be creative. And and those types of games, as cool as it sounds, you don't get to be creative. You just sort of follow and experience somebody else's creativity. I like to be on the creative side of things, but that's fine. It's all good. Um, but what I have been doing, Justin, even though I haven't playing a lot of video games, is I have been reading comics, uh, and I got another one. Uh, I, I I got another one for you. Yeah, this one's kind of weird because it's it's gonna I'm gonna cover two different things with it. So you ever heard of mind management or mind MGMT? But it's management basically. Uh, I've heard I've seen the comic with the MG. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's Matt Ken. It's like, uh, yeah, it's kind of like the big thing, like on the cover, the top is big MGMT. So yeah, I've kind of seen that. so uh, so yeah, it's by uh, it's it's uh, Matt Kent. Uh, he's a uh, creator. He wrote it. He was the artist, etc. Uh, it's concluded now. I think it went thirty six issues. It's by Dark Horse Comics, uh, and I know that Comicsology has the first two collected volumes that they titled Manager and Futurist. Uh, I think those are on comicsology unlimited and then i think homemaker and magician which are the second two are not yet uh aren't you actually pay pay for them which is fine um i'm i'm through i have i still have like the magician to read but i'm through the others uh and i'm probably going to read the rest but um mind management first came to my attention uh i would say a couple months ago about uh, back in february like in the beginning of february so just a month or month and a half ago when uh, i was backing a game called cobwebs it's a it was a role playing game slash uh, a little bit of t- little little bit of like board gaming elements to it because there were sort of uh, mechanisms as well and like little physical products, uh, but I backed that because I really like to look at it and they mentioned mind management in the same breath as a few other things that I really really enjoy, uh, and so I put it on my list to read and I started reading it and the reason that I kind of started reading it now is because just about two weeks ago uh, up on Kickstarter a new board game has shown up that is based on mind management. So I'm going to talk a little bit about both of those things today. And it's just sort of this weird, like I'm just mind management is everywhere for some reason. Uh, but the, the series itself first came out back in 2012. So this is not a new series finished up 2015, 2016, something like that. Uh, so it, it is, it is a concluded series at this point. Um, there have been attempts in the past to turn it into uh, some other media. So, I think at one point they did. Uh, they were thinking about trying to turn it to a to a movie, but that didn't pan out. And I think now they're possibly working on a, a TV adaptation. So the basic premise of mind management is, or the, I guess I should, I should say, the basic genre or theme is that this is all about uh, like spies and sort of intelligence, but it's not like traditional in the sense like a, like a, like a, the Americans or something like that. This is more. Uh, dealing with inception kind of ideas which is people who have pretty supernatural abilities to some degree um but those those abilities those special abilities that they have aren't aren't like kind of presented as any like i casting fireball or anything like that but they have ability to do things with their minds they have like super powerful crazy minds and they have the capacity uh to control things so uh, like, for instance, there's this one woman. Uh, well, they were actually a pair of sisters. They were the Perrier twins. They have the ability to just do like all sorts of writing. Uh, and the writing is is sort of like this kind of controlling narrative aspect to it. There's another guy who can create ads that can sort of push people to do certain and behave certain ways. Uh, there's this one guy who can analyze uh, analyze any specific uh, like a wall or a body and look for a weak point. And then when he punches it, it kind of breaks down just because of his ability to do that. Um, one of my favorite guys is Duncan, who's one of the older dudes. Uh, he has the ability to basically predict the future um, for the next 15 minutes, but it's not so much, but like they try to, they try to make sense of it. They try to rationalize it in some way by having, he has this ability to kind of, see everyone's perspectives and understand everything within a, within a radius around him and through like this this kind of really complex calculus he can determine in sort of like predictively what's going to happen 
Uh, and so everyone's got like these different, you know, these different skills and abilities. Uh, the main character is Meru, uh, M-E-R-U, who is a, I mean, at the start of the, the series is a crime novelist or a crime writer, sort of like a true crime writer, like a, you know, and she had one successful book and now she's trying to write her second, but she's kind of down on her luck and things aren't really quite working out and she's sort of in a rut. Um, and over the first, over the first volume, uh, the manager, you start to figure out why. And it's because, you know, it's, as you would expect, because she's on the cover of mind management, this is about mind management. It's because she's her, her kind of memories and her experiences are being kind of manipulated in some way, uh, by whom and why I'll leave you for you to decide or you to figure out because it's kind of really interesting and I don't want to spoil some stuff for you. Cause there's a lot of like mysteries and things. Uh, but yeah, her, her memories are kind of being manipulated and exposed in some way. Uh, she gets obsessed with this, uh, this plane that, and, and, and strangely enough, it was flight 815, uh, which is, you know, lost. Uh, and there is a, a Ford in the first volume by, uh, by Damon Lindelhoff. So that was always pretty cool. Uh, but she gets obsessed. She decides she's going to write her second book on this. And there's like only one person on the uh, on the flight is like one person on the flight was missing. But everybody else on the flight has amnesia for like reasons. And no one knows why. And it's and obviously we learn it's because somebody was manipulating their memories and things like that. Um, and so we start to follow her like she's kind of a primary the primary heroine of the of the, uh, you know, I would say. But it becomes somewhat of a, a kind of a more it's not just her we follow because there's a there's a there's a perspective change as we go from issue to issue uh different characters get kind of their own focal stories from time to time and even though we constantly are returning back to marrow as as the sort of central central character that we follow it really we're exploring all of these different people now my management is is was a was possibly a uh, a governmental organization that was trying to do good supposedly uh by using these people's powers to do things like prevent war to uh, ins- ensure like proper transition of power uh, to to make sure that you know uh, everyone's happy and etc so it's like these controlling almost big brother type uh, type enterprises uh, in a way um, and at a certain point the people that they were training and they're trained through like Shangri-La right which is this 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 location this mystical location uh, that isn't entirely known where that is. Uh, these people that they've been training since usually very, very young start to have breakdowns. And so they start to question reality. They start to use their powers in ways that uh, aren't necessarily for the for the greater good. And at some point, uh, something horrible happened uh, in the the city of Zanzibar. And a lot of this a lot of the the journey of Meru is trying to figure out exactly what happened and why it happened, tracking down who was responsible. And then we start seeing that there's other factions in play because it's not just her figuring this out. It's about figuring out that my management has been broken. And now there's like these competing forces. There's like the immortals, which are a specific kind of subset of mind management who for reasons uh, basically can't die. Uh, And then there's these rogue agents uh, that are split. Some of them are kind of following one particular faction. Another is following a different faction. The question is, which one of those factions is Mero going to kind of align with, etc. So, um, if you are a fan of like spy, uh, spy thriller type uh, stories, like this is definitely for you, especially if you're open to more um, science fictiony, uh, mystic- mystical type. Uh, elements as well you know uh, because they have these powers uh, that you won't you wouldn't necessarily uh, you wouldn't necessarily associate with this type of genre so it's a wonderful blending Um, I think anyone who compares it to something like Inception makes sense anyone who wants to compare it to uh, maybe something like a like a Twin Peaks or something like like a Lost also makes sense because it's set in the real world it's supposed to be real but there's these elements, these speculative elements that are trying to to take it somewhere else as well. Um, the The narrative style is is sometimes not the not the easiest uh, or most intuitive to follow because it does jump POVs a lot. Uh, meaning we go to this person to that person, 
there's a lot of telling of the story as opposed to us experiencing it. And I think it takes a little time to acclimate to what events are happening right now in the story and what events have already happened and are being retold. A lot of, a lot of the comic relies on like framing elements to uh, like where one person is sort of telling another person of these, their experiences. And then it's almost like we get these voiceovers, right? We get these voiceover boxes that are trying to, to frame it and contextualize it. And it's not, you know, in every single issue and every single volume, like there's different characters that are getting kind of that spotlight. So, uh, sometimes reading carefully, paying attention to like the different colored boxes, ensuring that, you know, like the title of the specific issue, like don't, don't like flip through those things too quickly because it does help frame the rest of it. And since the story can get kind of complicated, uh, which is good. I like that. Um, cause you want to unpack that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's easy to perhaps like if you zone out for a minute as you're turning a past one, one page and didn't notice like the picture of this particular character, you might not realize that the, that they're the one who's actually voicing it. Uh, another complaint that I've, I've read is that not everyone likes the art style, uh, because it does have kind of this rough, uh, kind of this rough sketching. And then there's, it's got a kind of like a, like a watercolory type, uh, uh, coloring process to it. I actually like that. My only complaint I would have about the artistic style is that there are times, especially early where I, it was sometimes difficult to discern um faces like one character from the next I, I, like some some characters are quite clear like there's you know one guy who has a beard and sunglasses and so every time you see a dude with beard and sunglasses you're good and then the main character marrow she's got red hair and so every time you see red hair you're good but then there's some other characters where it's not 100 clear like wait who is this exactly or who is that exactly and it takes a little time to really acclimate that in ways that i think other media like if we were watching this in television it would be a lot it's a lot easier just because we know the actress or the actor and it was easier to discern them so um I, at the same time like it's 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 a small gripe uh for otherwise like a pretty fantastic story um, so I definitely recommend it. It's, this is more in line with the type of stuff I like to read. So like these mysteries, these thrillers, these suspenses, these things that are kind of messing around your, you know, you, you got to unpack it in some way. Like what's the, what's the surprise? Like what's the mystery? Like what's going down? Like what's the, what are the consequences? What are the bad things that happened in the past that are now being affected onto the present? So the other half of this then, uh, has to do the other half of like, you know, why I ended up talking about this one is because there's also a, a Kickstarter that's uh, that's going on right now for a game, a board game uh, f- that's themed around mind management. So this is like you can actually look up Mind MGMT. Uh, it's got a subtitle. It's like the the psychic. I think it's the psychic espionage game is what they call it because it's basically a bunch of people with psychic powers. Um, but that's up on Kickstarter right now. It's running for another 15 days, so it's going to end pretty basically the start of April. Uh, I think it's April 2nd is when it's going to, it's the, the actual campaign. So there's a couple, couple weeks left for, for everyone to kind of take a look at it. Uh, this game is a, a two to five player hidden movement game, uh, which is one of my favorite types of games. I'm a huge fan. My, my favorite games are games that where there's hidden movement and hidden roles. So I like deduction in my board games. I like it when we're trying to figure out like whose role, who's playing what role, uh, I like it when we're trying to figure out where one person's like playing hide. We're playing like hide and seek, that kind of thing. Uh, so this game has some of those components. Justin, you've played like a couple of these types of games. You you know that my shelf is filled with a lot of these just because I find them a lot of fun. Um, I've played a bunch of hidden movement games in the past. Uh, so things like Fear of Dracula, where one person's playing Dracula, who's trying to get the hell out of Dodge, get the hell out of Europe, while all of the various hunters, Van Helsing, uh, Mina, uh, et cetera, uh, are trying to chase, uh, trying to chase him down. I've played specter ops where one person is playing an agent in a cyberpunk universe while the rest are trying to hunt down this agent before they can complete tasks. There's just, I, uh, I have Mr. Jack, which is a great game where one person is playing Mr. Jack, who's trying, who just committed a crime and is trying to escape a city. And, and, and the other person is trying to like track Mr. Jack down before they can escape. I love these games. Like these games are right up my wheelhouse. And so seeing like mind management again for like the third time in like a month show up within my, like it's my sphere of interest. I, I feel like I'm being manipulated somehow uh, by like this advertising guy to, to buy this, but I am backing it because it looks really cool. Um, they have this thing called a shift system. Uh, 
what this game basically does is, what's, is it has like a very light legacy wa- way of playing. Uh, what that means is that every time you play a game of this, the I think it's the winner of the game, whether it's the person who's playing, uh, who's actually m- you know playing mind management essentially, like they're, you're playing the company maneuvering around the map, hit you know in a hidden way, or if you're playing like the agents, the rogue agents that are trying to track that one person down. Whoever wins, they get access to these new envelopes. And every time these envelopes are open, there's like new powers and new cards that go into the game. So the beginning of the game, when you first play it, there's like a training game. It's simplistic. You know, it's it's pretty straightforward. So you can learn how to play the game. It's almost like it's a tutorial, so to speak. And then as the game progresses, every time you're playing new games and new games and new games, you're getting these extra layered ideas. And I really like how board games are doing that type of thing, where it's making it easier to learn how to play. Uh, now I've already said that one, this is a one versus all. So it's a minimum of two players then, uh, up to five, one person plays mind management and they play behind almost like a GM screen. If you're familiar with that, where they are on their own sheet of paper, which is this, uh, their own, the kind of map of the board are secretly manu- uh, moving around the map. Okay. Cause they're, 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 they're logging their movements on that single sheet uh, while everybody else, the other, you know, one to four players who are playing with you are playing rogue agents and they're trying to find and track, uh, the mind management player, uh, and they get to do all of their movement and all of their action on a large, normal, traditional board game. Okay. Uh, the actual board itself. Uh, now at the start of the game, the mind management player draws a couple cards and these couple cards have like different images on them that correspond to, uh, like specific locations on the board. So one of them, there might be like a picture of a cup of coffee. And so then if you look at the picture of the cup of coffee on the map, both the one that the, the mind engine player has in secret and the basic board, uh, there's all sorts of different squares of this city of, I think it's Zanzibar, uh, of different, like, uh, like different coffee places. And then maybe there's another one with an umbrella or another one with a palm tree or something like that. And so, what this means are these are like recruitment locations. These are locations that the mind management player can move to and try to recruit people because they win the game by recruiting a certain number of agents, new, new pr- uh, prospective agents. And if they can do this before getting caught by the rogue agents, then they win. Or if they can hold out long enough, like there's like a timer on the game as well. Uh, the uh, the people who are chasing him, the rogue agents, are trying to they can win the game by trying to just track down the specific uh, the specific mind management player. Right, that's the kind of idea. So it's kind of like hide and seek. Now, there's some really cool components, and there's really interesting wrinkles to this game that are different from some of the games I mentioned at the top of this this little review. So, one of the things is they have a lot of dry erase marker stuff going on here. Uh, so the mind management player has their own copy of the board, which is again, a map of a city and they are tracking their movements directly on this map using like their own separate, you know, uh, dry erase or wet erase marker. And then the, the other players, the rogue agents, they have these little, uh, markers, these little small circular, I think they're circular. They're, the, the components are still kind of in progress. Um, but what that allows them to do is that once they get information uh, from, you know, like clues about the mind management, what path the mind management person is taking, they actually can write little notes to themselves and place it directly on the board, which is a really cool component. Um, now, as the mind management player is is moving around and trying to to recruit their places, the the interesting thing is that they can't kind of like retrace their steps. They always have to find like a new path, uh, and so over the course of the game. As as the rogue agent players are like looking to track you know the, the player down the mind management player down and they're putting down these notes to keep to keep an eye on where the mind management player has already been because they found like evidence or tracks uh, that is helping them understand okay well they they're not going to come here because they've already been here and so they might go to this part of the city or this part of the board and so like a net begins to kind of form. And slowly and slowly, like there's fewer and fewer places where the mind management player can go that's safe as the rogue agents are are quickly learning like where the, the player has been. Um, the on the the turn of a rogue agent, basically what they can do 
is they can they can move uh, and they can find specific locations and they can basically ask a question. And so they ask they effectively ask the mind management player like, "Have you been here?" And if they say yes, well then that's when you get one of those little dry erase dry erase uh, tokens out and you say yes has been here and you, you kind of track generally what turn were they here. And then you can put it down on that space. And so that's how they can visually keep track of where the mind management player uh, actually went, which is really, really cool. Um, you can, they can also um, what's called reveal. And so they can, they can place like these little uh, like footstep tokens that kind of track specifically, this is a path that they took. And eventually over time, even though they know that a, a my management player was here, they don't always know exactly which turn, but eventually they can reveal and figure out like which turn where they're at. Um, now the my management player has a couple other resources at their disposal to help kind of screw up things. Uh, they actually get access to immortals and that allows them to put immortals onto the map and kind of move them around a bit and, and sort of confuse or potentially uh, obfuscate certain information. And if they get in the way, then like the, then like the, the rogue agent players have to try to figure out a way to, to take, you know, get them off the map, etc. Um, so it's really, it's always really hard to kind of give like a full explanation for board games in, in sort of podcast format. But uh, I definitely would encourage people to take a look at the Kickstarter. If you like hide and seek, uh, if you want hide and like really good hide and seek in a board game, if you've ever played board games that involve this, uh, so like a Specter Ops, like uh, Letters from Whitechapel, uh, like Fury of Dracula, uh, Nuns on the Run, a bunch of other types of these types of these these games, uh, it's really really good. There's a few videos they have on their Kickstarter that shows you know that shows actual full playthroughs uh, from other other media content creators, and so you can kind of take a look at that. Uh, but I think this, this game looks pretty fantastic and it has the exact same artwork that you would expect from the comic. Uh, and there's a couple different tiers that you can back at. You can back at just sort of the regular tier, which is which like the retail version of the game for like 46 bucks us, which is pretty affordable, uh, actually for a board game. Uh, they also have for about 15 to $20 more, they have the deluxe version. Uh, which is what I'm backing because it has uh, it has some upgraded components and it has some upgraded, not just components, but the box is upgraded to make it easier to kind of manage and store your stuff. So uh, it looks really cool. There's these little mini comics and stuff that come in so you can get little world building components. If you're unfamiliar with the comic, you can kind of learn a little bit about this place or that place or this person or that person. Uh, as the game progresses, you're opening those new envelopes, getting new characters and rogue agents to play. You're getting new abilities uh, so it's not just the three basic abilities that you have at the start of the game, but now it's some more complex things that adds continually adds layers and layers and layers to the board game uh, in a way that a video game might over time uh, from level to level start adding compli more complicating things as the player becomes familiar with the system. All right, so that is mind management, both the comic and the board game. Uh, the board game is up on Kickstarter right now. Uh, the Psychic Espionage game is the subtitle. Uh, it's up until April 2nd, uh, I want to say. It's about 14, 15 days uh, if you want to take a look at it. Uh, and it's uh, being designed, by the way, by uh, Jay Cormier and Sen Fung Lim. I hope I pronounced uh, that somewhat correctly. Uh, but yeah, go take a look. It looks really, really cool. Uh, and I really like the fact that it's got the uh, the uh, the game trays and stuff in to help with the, with management stuff. It's by Off the Page Games. It's the TV. Breakdown. All right, so Justin and I decided we're going to watch Ragnarok on Netflix. Uh, Ragnarok is written by Adam Price, directed by Mogens Hagedorn. Uh, hopefully you can tell by that name that this is a, a Norwegian language uh, drama, so it's a subtitle. Uh, and... It's six episodes long. It stars David Staxton, Jonas Strand Gravely, Herman Tomaras. I mean, like, why am I doing this to myself? Uh, but it's basically Norwegian, also sort of Denmark. I'm not sure if the production company is Denmark, but like, whatever. Uh, the show the show takes place uh, in Norway in a uh, a town called Edda, which is on the apparently the western side of uh, of Norway, and it is a town that has been uh, kind of going downhill. 
of late. Uh, it uh, it has been affected by all sorts of environmental changes that seem to be stemming from like a glacier that they have in the town that's kind of melting. Uh, but the water is polluted, and that there is this uh, industry uh, that's owned by the Jutul family, uh, and this this factory is suspected by some, usually the some of the younger folk, uh, that of of sort of being responsible uh, for the uh, for the pollution. Now, if that wasn't enough. Uh, there's also the fact that this is a supernatural fantasy and that some of these people that you're going to be uh, meeting within the series are uh, likely, uh, uh, well, how do I put this? Uh, gods, like descendants of gods and giants and stuff like that. Uh, and some of them are like uh, effectively immortal, or at least they don't die from old age and stuff. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so we follow uh, Magna, uh, who is sort of the main character. He's around a 16 year old or something like that. Uh, and he has recently moved with his brother, uh, Loritz, and his mother uh, back to Edda. Uh, apparently, Edda was uh, uh, Magna's mother's home, and so now they're kind of returning because Mag- uh, Magna's mother has gotten a job at the Doodle family uh, uh, factory or whatever, right? Uh, so then what we do then, what, what most of the story is, honestly, what most of our experiences is watching these kids, these these 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, uh, in high school. And so we follow Magna as not only he's dealing with, with high school itself, but also dealing with the fact that he has burgeoning powers that he doesn't fully understand. Uh, at one point he, he throws like a hammer all the way across town, like from one side to the next. Uh, and so he's got this like super strength and stuff like that. Um, and he begins to realize that, you know, there's something more to it, it's like that classic story, you know, it's not a gift, it's a curse, or it's not a curse, it's a gift, or some such. Uh, so as he tries to navigate, you know, these new powers, his new time, you know, his him being the new guy uh, in high school in town, he befriends a person uh, who is very much in... Um, very much like a, a climate activist, and it be, and, and the friction of the story comes from Magna wanting to like become more environmentally friendly, but also trying to understand his place and what how do the how does the Jutal family uh, kind of kind of conflict with that? So uh, that's kind of the general gist of, of the show itself. It's only six episodes long. It's a fairly short. Uh, short run, so it doesn't actually take that long to watch. But uh, Justin, what'd you think of Ragnarok? I thought it was a a fun little show to watch. Um, I didn't think that the uh, voice acting was terrible. Um, I didn't think the story was outlandish. When you say voice liked... acting, did did you are are you a dubber? Do you watch the dub version? Yeah, I don't watch the. Maybe do two things at once sometimes. How uh, dare you? You're supposed so to yeah. focus for our podcast. Oh my god, I didn't realize you were a dubber. Uh, I'm a I'm a subtitle. I like the dubs. I like the I like the dubs. Uh, I, I like, like the, the subtitles. Dub. I like the subtitles. Okay, go ahead. But overall, I thought the story was was interesting. Um, I like how they try to portray. Uh, Mag- is his name? I think it's Magnus. Magnus. It's Magna. I forget how M-A-G-N-E. It's weird. It's a weird name. It's really not um, weird. It's just it's just a Norwegian name. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not American. So I'm right now, sense. somewhere in Nor- Norway, there are two guys who are doing a podcast and they're talking about American cinema and American television. And they're like, is this is his name? Justin? Is it Justin? That's a weird <laughs> name. So like, come on, man. Think outside the box. OK, good. Sure, sure. But um, I thought it was interesting. Like it was supposed to be displayed as kind of like um, 15, 16 year old. But he's this he's jacked. Dude, he's huge. <laughs> he's huge. He's he's enormous. People um, call him fat too, multiple times. Yeah, like, series, I'm like, wait, fat? that's like, fat. <laughs> I wish kidding? I had that linebacker body in high school. I know, I'd go dude, D1 totally in a second. The dude shredded. Like his traps are yeah. just enormous. So I thought that was 
yeah, a funnier part of the whole thing. Um, I, I guess I'm, we're assuming that his brother's going to be Loki. I guess that's that was point. my he's, assumption the whole way through because he certainly looks like Tom Hiddleston from yeah. from the Thor movies, right? Like Loritz we're talking Basically about young Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, and, and then they do that weird dance where like they all drank the the mead and like he was affected by it. So assuming we're assuming Loritz, he probably must be has, some type yeah. of yeah. ice giant lineage to him or something like that, or at least some type of yeah. thing involved. And being with them yeah we get these um, this, like these heavy-handed expositional like history of like gods and giants especially in the high school or i'm just like seriously like is this is this do you get do you really talk about this like because when we class is just yeah. North mythology yeah. is that all it is, is it is, like oh. seriously like uh, i guess that makes sense considering where they're from but i don't know i have no inside information about curriculum in norwegian schools so the story is you know interesting i don't find it boring or or slow or or just kind of like droll in any type of way i was in you know engaged the whole time i want them to kind of get to it i'd like to see the kid thored out um you have like a small glimpse of it at a certain point it looks really weird um but they're really going with like norse mythology type of look not chris hemsworth i get it you know right here i was hoping chris hemsworth would just show up but i guess it's not going to happen yeah um but um, I thought it was. I'd like to see the the a uh, little bit. I want I want to see what happens. I want to see the 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 turn. My only question is like, is this a story, uh, a show that has a beginning, middle, and end, or do they not know what the hell they're going with it? Is it like another one of those shows where it's like decent concept, interesting idea? Is there going to be a point where you're like, okay, this is gone off the road. right you so know, i feel like there's a lot of times and stuff like that happens. so like there's there's a bunch of different things in this like there's so magna he first arrives he speaks with this creepy old lady who maybe unlocks his powers and then he meets Isold, who becomes his friend and partner in environmental crime uh but then he also starts getting a crush on a different uh a different woman uh i can't remember her name um but he starts to just to kind of look at her as as you know his oh, gree or gry gree gry something like that. That's his sort of love interest. But Come then on, Jeff, it's a common name in. in but Norway, then I'm glossing over. Uh, and then she, <laughs> but she also gets like romantically involved with the younger, uh, like the the son in the Jutal family, right? So it creates this sort of love triangle between the three of them. And not only is it just a love triangle, but then you have the extra layered component of they're the member of the Jutal family so that Magna and Isold don't like the Jutal family because they're blaming the Jutal family for being the, the polluters of Edda. But then and it's you also add, kind of super on the nose. Jutal family isn't like Jutenheim where uh, ice giants are from, too. <laughs> it's like maybe it's like, OK, it's like calling it uh, it's like calling Thor or. Magnus family like the uh, Asgardian family or something like that like something like that it was like kind of Asgardian behind it's interesting I okay I mean I don't know I'm not an expert uh, so then the all my Norse what I was trying to say before from, Justin uh, uh, inter- what I was trying to say before Justin interrupt me uh, was that there's an extra layer to that conflict as well because not only is it a love interest thing so you have that basic emotional connection thing not only is it the environmental political thing but also the fact that the Jutal family also seem to have some sort of mystical magical ties to like ye olden times right so it's not just Magna who's got these powers but the Jutal family somehow is connected to that as well so you have all these three things and why they're interconnected and then there are these weird hilarious moments I think because like Magna's mom is so weird She's so she's she, she weirds me out, man. Like at times, I think she, she looks like a terrible mom. Other times, I sympathize with her greatly. But she has like a crush, I think, on like the Jutal family father, and she works for the Jutal family. And so all of Magna and Isold kind of pushing this environmentalism is creating problems. And so it's a small town; a lot of people work at the factory, and so that they're causing an issue, etc. There's a lot of really like cheesy. There's a lot of really cheesy. What? The way I took that was kind of maybe people who are not attuned with this type of life or powers just don't notice it or aren't affected by it as a normal, in a normal way, you know, like it's almost like there's a veil cast over their eyes. That's kind of how I kind of took it. Uh, Like where she seems ignorant and and kind of uh, uh, dumb and certain things that's going on, but. To me, I was putting on. I was like, maybe she just doesn't notice it because she's not. I don't think there's. I don't think there's any evidence of that. Uh, I think it's just that 
Just straight up bad mom. All right. I, I just think it's more along the lines of like any sort of imagine a real world. We live in the real world. Imagine someone actually telling you like, hey, hey, mom, um, I've got superpowers. Like no one's going to take you seriously and think, think you're nuts or like, hey, mom, those people you work for are like these immortal race of giants who have been uh, ruining our lives for for centuries. Yeah, I mean that like you don't that 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 no one believes that. That's like a stupid thing. Like it's a conversation that only ever shows up in our fiction, so we can never really have a good uh, you know, a good estimation of how it would look in real life, but I'm I've been pretty sure that conversation my whole life, I so yeah, I like to start a comic book adventure. Yeah, sure. So like, yeah, there are times where it just makes no sense. And then like the education system, at times the Norwegian education system and, and the way it's depicted in this show, it looks amazing. Like there's things I'm like, oh yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. Like I love the way this is working. But at other times I'm just like, what, what are you doing? Because the, the, the matriarch of the Jutal family is also the principal of the high school. Oh, and so when Magna and Isolde start pushing all their kind of environmental criticism of the Jutal family factory, like that gets stomped down and censored by the principal who starts to influence the teachers and not let them say the things that they want to say. So that adds this extra component. So we go down the really classic stereotypical, like, oh, he's the one with powers, but we got to figure out ways to socially outcast him. And some of those ways make sense, but others are like stupid. Like others are just like, oh, you're fat. Like seriously? No, you're not. First of all, you're not fat. Like you're, you're like literally the be- your best. D1 linebacker. Yeah. Alabama any day yeah. now. So there's those kind of weird components. Um, I, I mean, it was okay. Like, if we're going to conclude, it's okay. Like, it's not great. Like, it's fine. Like, I, I don't, it's six episodes long. I could have watched a couple more, especially since the end came fairly abruptly. I, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize this was six episodes. And like, this is the end where there, there finally is a confrontation uh, of some magical, fantastical quality between Magna and a member of the Jutal family. Uh, but, like it still leaves like so much hanging. Like there's so much being left hanging. And the last, the last scene with Loritz where he, Oh my gosh. Uh, so Loritz, like they're, they're like the last scene or the last, uh, the last show, excuse me, the last episode is like during a, some sort of holiday, right? Some sort of like Edda holiday or whatever. And they normally do some sort of school speech and like the principal. Yeah. That it. didn't make any sense. What at is all? going on? Like, it's just I don't know what the hell happened there. I just, it's like, like, Loritz comes out, like, dressed up as the principal and it gives the speech. And it was, I'm just, I don't understand it. I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just, it was just weird. So there were a lot of, like, moments that just never quite felt like they made sense. Uh, they didn't always feel well fleshed out. Um, time was also kind of interesting, like, how much time actually passed uh, from episode to episode. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think it's a great show. I don't think it's a bad show. I, I was looking before we started the episode to see if there was any news on a potential second season. And I'm not encouraged. Uh, even though it's got a halfway decent rating on IMDb, it's got a 7.6, uh, which is fairly solid. Uh, apparently, it was not well received, this is according to Wikipedia, not well received by some Norwegian media. Uh, it was a, a one one out one outfit called it uh, nonsensical and said that the characters plots and dialogue were a failure uh, and noted that even though it was Norwegian, it felt more like a Danish series, which I like to think is like a Norwegian Danish burn. <laughs> like, what are you Danish? Yeah. Which is, which is great. Like, cause we have our issues. Weird, like, we make jokes with uh, between us and Canada. It's kind of like a fun thing. Right. But like, maybe that's their thing. Like, <laughs> what are you, what are you Danish? Uh, so it's weird though. The, the reviewer's name was Juden. Which I, I thought was really interesting. He said something around the lines of, "It's a, a propaganda about our family." So, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, but anyway, I pointed out to Justin because it's got it's a, it's a superhero story basically. It's a guy. It's an origin story of Thor. Effectively, is what this is. Origin story of a D one linebacker for Alabama. <laughs> Could be not a lot of Norwegian D one linebackers. Uh, I, I don't. He's think. the first. So, He's got the the natural talents. So while everyone is working from home and social distancing and all that kind of stuff, and you're looking for things to watch, uh, this is definitely the type of show that, like, if you like fantasy stories, you know, if you like superhero stories, if you like, you know, supernatural, that kind of stuff, uh, definitely take a look at this. It's not a huge investment. It's six episodes. Each episode is like 45 minutes long, maybe. So it's a it's a short story. 
I do think there is some semblance of closure at the end of those six episodes, but obviously there's a ton of storylines that they opened and never closed. So even if this never gets a second season, like one of the story, like there is sort of a storyline there and you can treat it like this is the origin story of a superhero. And by the end of it, it's almost like he's in, he's at this point embraced his powers in some way and you can follow all the different things uh, in the interim. So overall halfway decent, not bad if you're looking for something to binge, uh, especially a short run binge. Uh, and so that is it for this episode. Uh, Justin and I, uh, we, uh, we've been doing, we've been doing some other things. So Justin's got some of his Ori videos up on his YouTube channel right now. Uh, I also have recently started a new, uh, Twitch campaign. Uh, I, it's a game called mutant year zero. We're playing, a. We're playing a role-playing game. It's a new Twitch campaign that we're going to try to do every week, so Friday or Saturday. Uh, so this Friday from 6 to 8 Pacific time, we are doing our second session. Uh, the first session is up on the Lollygaggers YouTube page. Uh, you can see the Gen Lab Mutant Year Zero, the session zero where you created characters, talked about rules, that kind of stuff. Uh, so we're going to be doing another live play. This is in addition to our normal Adventures in Lollygagging podcast, which episodes will still drop every Monday. Uh, so you have something to listen to, something to entertain yourself with uh, over the course of our uh, work from home or whatever issues people are going through uh, these days. So hopefully you can check it out. Uh, we got some other stuff in the in, in some other projects, but we can't really talk about them yet. We've got some new projects coming up pretty soon. Justin and I are actually going to be uh, doing something new together. We're very excited about this, uh, but we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, hopefully. Um, now, if you uh, like what you're hearing, uh, you can find us online at thelollygaggers.com. You can catch me on Twitter at lollygaggerco. You can catch Justin on Twitter at buysjustin. Uh, I'll be on twitch.tv slash thelollygaggers this Friday playing that game, uh, Mutant Year Zero. And Justin, you can find uh, his World of Warcraft streams, his, uh, his Ori streams, and other games that he's planning on playing. You can find him twitch.tv slash jehufa. Uh, so Justin... I have, uh, I guess, I, I guess I got to ask you a final question. Uh, so, if you could go back and you could be like a teenager again, uh, I know that like mentally you still oh, are, man. but I meant like just age-wise, if you could be a teenager uh, once more, what would you do differently? Um, less carbs would probably be the biggest thing. Fewer. Um, uh, I said less. Um, so less carbs <laughs> and then more time in the gym and really work on becoming a, a, um, a pro uh, a middle linebacker rather than a fat lineman. Uh, so yeah, that'd be it. Less carbs. Yeah. <laughs>